Welcome to the Traveling Tribes podcast, the latest insight into group travel and tourism trends. Host Jeff Gader, publisher of Leisure Group Travel Magazine and author of Traveling Tribes, interviews travel industry standouts and influencers for an engaging conversation about group travel. Hello, everybody. Jeff Gadek here from the Traveling Tribes podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I've got a very special guest with me today. Nazi Peretz, is that how I pronounce your last name? You nailed it. Gotcha, gotcha. I just always want to make sure on those things. You have it written down, and sometimes um, the uh, phonetic spelling of people's last names. I know uh, people always butcher mine and my wife, so it's always easy to tell a telemarketer from a million miles away. So, uh, Nazi, I really appreciate you joining me today. Um, you are the chief technical officer for Hornblower Group, uh, which um, we're going to dive into that today. Talk a little bit about your history. Talk a little bit about technology in the travel business. So really eager to get going. I guess, uh, first of all, um, talk a little bit about your organization, because, you know, obviously people know the Hornblower Group, but I would be surprised if people really understand the different businesses that you folks are in. So kind of walk us through your portfolio. Sure, sure. So the Hornblower Group, very diverse group of businesses. Um, we'll start with the concessions, which are federal contracts that we have, um, and that's the Statue of Liberty, Alcatraz Island and Niagara Falls on the Canadian side. All three of those are um, concessions that are really, really well attended, meaning they're top attractions in the U.S. and in Canada, um, and they've got attendance in the millions. And then we transfer ourselves to the fun business, which is the boating and birthdays and anniversaries uh, and the dining excursions and the brunches, those are across 22 ports in the U.S. Mm. and uh, with a fleet of over 254 vessels. Um, and then last but not least is, is transportation, right? So we've got the ferry transportation business uh, in New York, uh, which uh, it's over six and a half million passengers across 38 vessels there. Yes. The Puerto, Rico, Puerto Rico operation, which are actually two separate operations for ferries. Uh, one island and one metro. So uh, one that goes out to one of the most beautiful islands uh, in in Puerto Rico. And uh, then we've got more formal military-based transport, right? So taking Marines, moving tankers. Uh, oh, that's my gosh. Out, okay. Yeah, that's out of the business. Not very spoken about because um, you also need clearance around. But we 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 try to make sure that we're transporting our troops as well, um, not just in the U.S. but also in other areas of the world. Okay, okay. So uh, there's also the American Queen Division of the organization. Does that operate really as an independent entity? I know there's an Australian tour and experience operation uh, that's considered part of the parent company, but also operating independently. Yeah, two more that you spoke of, they're, they're really big divisions. So the American Queen Voyages is our overnight excursions. And those are uh, vessels that take you up to Alaska or up and down the Mississippi. Um, those are beautiful voyages uh, ranging from seven to 14 days. And then you've got a business in Australia called Journey Beyond, which we acquired uh, during the COVID uh, timeframe. And that's a gorgeous planes, helicopters, and more importantly, trains. So the, the GAN, which is one of the um, most interesting trains that cross Australia, that, that's also part of uh, the portfolio today. 
Okay. Australia's company, uh, Journey Beyond, has done uh, an incredible job at, at showing what hospitality it should really look like. In, in that, that's a post-pandemic pickup, you said? That's right. Okay, okay. Now, when did you get involved in the organization? Uh, I got involved about five years ago. Okay. And um, that was when the business was really uh, growing without acquisitions. So it, it went through tremendous growth just by seeing more volume um, in the travel space. And then during the COVID time, we found that it would be uh, very opportunistic to pick up a couple of uh, great acquisitions in the walking space mm-hmm. and food tour space. So we picked up takewalks.com and devour tours. And that was meant to complement our other attractions. So if you've done activities on the boat, the last thing you want to do is continue being on the water. Sure. You want to feel the ground. <laughs> and that's why the, the walking tours in, in Europe made a lot of good sense. Okay. And and you came over from Ticketmaster, correct? So you really had that core ticketing experiences background. That's what you're, you're, you're uh, coming to the industry from? That's right. Um, it was me and, and five other guys. We came from Ticketmaster together um, to see if we could unify Hornblower's initiative around ticketing to not be 12 disparate systems, but collapse it into one single platform so that we're really well educated on the guest so that we know that, you know, Jeff went to the Statue of Liberty, but he also visited us in Alcatraz mm. and he also has his anniversary on the 5th of May and he celebrates it typically on the water in Marina del Rey. Oh, because you're getting all that information. Well, that sounds like a really easy task, Nancy. Probably took you guys, what, about 30 days to figure all that out? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, interesting enough, uh, it, it got accelerated by COVID because we we had the luxury of having uh, the Statue of Liberty shut down uh, federally, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Alcatraz was shut down by the state of uh, California. So we took advantage of those timeframes and Pulled the plug on the old platforms and inserted the anchor platform. Instead. Okay, okay, and I think that's a that's a really good segue here into to really the deep dive of the technology because what so many companies deal with in the travel industry is they have an existing set of technology and they try to make it better by layering new things on top of it. You really started over with this. Yeah, it was tough. We started from scratch, uh, mostly because we we didn't see that any of the 12 existing ticketing platforms that we were using at the time across the business units satisfied 100% of their requirements. They all got to about the 90 percentile. And that last 10%, as you know, probably really well, Jeff, it's really hard to, to close that gap. Mm-hmm. So we said, let's go here from the ops folks on the ground, from the call center, Let's go hear from the salespeople and learn what the travel industry really needs around ticketing and then build. So there was a, an exploration phase that was about six months before we actually kicked off. Okay. What do you think the key differentiation is with Anchor into some of the other systems? What are you guys able to deliver? You know, you talked about knowing information about me, you know, certainly across your brands, that makes sense. I'm sure every tour and experience operator will want that, but where do you think the system really excels on the anchor side? So the, the biggest change for us is that this is not a engineering from the ground up. It's an ops tool built by operators. Hmm. So 
We see this as an operation company educating an engineering company, a software engineering company as to what to build. So we see that as a big, biggest differentiator. Feature-wise, we think our, our reporting is uh, one of the most superb things. So it's a drag and drop. Um, and we found that to be one of the biggest pain points across businesses. You know, they were looking for dashboarding and uh, ad hoc reporting and then customized reporting. And they would always have to hire people to do it, mm -hmm. hire a new engineer and, um, you know, have a full-time data analyst running reports for them. We figured there shouldn't be a need for that if you build the system properly. Um, so th that would be, uh, of course, along with the guest uh, purchase being so seamless and so easy. And then the customization options. So we have over 700 toggles today in the platform that allow you to customize the system. Meaning, do you um, want okay? Do you want an express checkout? Do you want to ask for a round trip? Uh, you know, do you want to enable a firm or uplift? All these things are just toggles in our platform. Okay, so that gets around the issue of well, my business is different, and we do things this way. So this this sort of out of the box software solution doesn't work because I'm different than everybody else. You guys have sort of plotted for that with these seven different seven hundred different uh, integrations and and uh, toggle switches. Yeah, yeah, and and get around the fact that people hard code this in legacy platforms, right? So you've got uh, competitors in the space that have over twenty years of hard coding or legacy code that's been building up and it gets uglier and uglier over time. Yeah. If, if you if you wrap that in toggles and further then wrap it into industry specific toggles, say, hey, the helicopter industry likes this. The maritime industry likes these 40 toggles and the walking tour industry needs these 30 toggles. Then you're not hard coding anymore, but instead you're building a flexible platform. Okay. So I, I remember going to the arrival event in San Diego, and that was, if I'm not mistaken, that was really your first coming out party from a, a industry perspective and, you know, being live and having the tool there. And I, I think there was initially some fear with operators like, well, you know, I might compete against Hornblower Cruises, or I might have a walking tour company in this destination. I understand that you're not on the sales side of the business, but you know, talk about how you keep that business separate where you can go in and say, we understand the business and we built it this way, but here's where the, the separation is between what we do and what you do. Yeah, so we, we heard that concern upon launching um, on that arrival in February in, in San Diego. And we heard it so loud and clear um, our data was already siloed, meaning anytime we onboarded a new client, it, it's its own instance of DynamoDB and truly isolated, um, not just verified by us, but verified by ISO 27001 compliance, okay. SOC, SOC 2 type 1 compliance. And um, we found that it would be even better to separate the businesses. So now, as of this year, January of 23, Anchor is no longer uh just within hornblower it's its own company its own pnl its okay. own bank um and that separation was made so that people know that not only are you contractually separated or obligated to respect the data but also in terms of business in terms of compliance we're completely isolating clients um and 
never at any point competing with Hornblower. One one story there to share with you. Sure. Um, Blue and Gold is probably one of the biggest competitors for Hornblower. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, an anecdote around that people used to say, if uh, the Blue and Gold uh, executive branch used to tell their employees, if you see a Hornblower employee walking down the street, you cross the street, you go walk on the other side. And uh, lo and behold, now, years later, they're using the Anchor platform too. Mm, uh, okay. Literally our, our largest competitor. And we see this as the same as AWS. AWS has Netflix hosted on there while Amazon Prime yeah. is showing videos. So yeah. no, no different. Okay. So in, in along those lines, and I think this, I, I'm going to call upon a bit of your Ticketmaster experience because um, you'll remember in the days of concert ticketing, there were a number of different options. And eventually through acquisition and through just pure the, the strength of the platform, Ticketmaster became the de facto choice if you were going to go see Taylor Swift. Um, yeah. We've seen this in the travel industry with the GDS systems to a degree. Uh, we've certainly seen it with OTAs, where if you go back how many 20 years ago, there were a lot more names and brands in the industry than there are now. Is that inevitable for the technology sector for tours and experiences? I, I do think it's inevitable. I think we'll find that you'll the, the leaders will bubble up um and they fit in one hand, right? And we can mm -hmm. we can name those companies, but we know that these five companies who are doing well by operators and are serving guests well will be the last ones uh to be standing. And and really the complexities you mentioned some, you, you need to have the OTA plugs. Right, you need to make sure that you connect it to all the payment gateways, because different clients, especially around enterprise, they run their own banking, meaning they don't use the cash flow model that you sustain the money and then you send it to me every couple of days. Yeah. So you need to be integrated with every payment gateway. You need to have on-site technology, right? Turnstiles and hardware and box office integrations. Not many companies can sustain that diverse of technology integrations. So I think it'll boil down to who can who has the scale to support uh, the enterprise customers. And then everybody else would have the choice of, you know, the smaller, the fair harbors uh, or, or, or the peaks that you can then just have an out-of-the-box solution as opposed to a customized solution. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, looking at the the day-to-day -day business of many of these small operators they didn't get into this because they love technology or they they enjoy going over excel spreadsheets and reports um and i think looking at some of the online forums there's a lot of confusion about you know what they should be doing and where they should be going and i think if you if you read those threads they start one area they make a big circle and you kind of get back to where you started again. Um, yeah. what, what I'm getting at here is, you know, yourself being in, ingrained in this every day. What should operators be looking for? If there's, you know, three things that they need to do to help run their business, what's your advice to them without, you know, with being somewhat platform agnostic? If you had a kayak tour company, what do you want out of the box that's going to help you run your business better? Because I think that's ultimately what it gets down to is how can I spend more time on the water 
and less time futzing with the technology? And that's a great question. I, I think number one, make sure that your brand is front and center, right? So if you use any kind of commerce tool, make sure it's not sending them away to a, a different site, right? And make sure that that email confirmation you received, it's your brand everywhere around it mm. and not someone else's, right? Don't don't promote, for example, Eventbrite's brand for them. Promote your kayak company using your example. It, that's everywhere, right? That's your website. That's your mobile app. That's, uh, you know, within your confirmation and your text message that guests receive, all of it needs to be your brand. Um, number two, I'd say distribution. Make sure that this company distributes your ticket inventory across the board. Um, not not to two providers like Viator and get your guide and that's it. The, the small providers uh, or the regional providers might have you know quite a quite a bit of volume that move that kayak inventory for you. Sure, sure. And and third and not not last, really dynamic pricing. I, I think we all know that the pricing strategy is the way to survive, but not uh, not based at all on static pricing. Yeah, I, I, and that's relatively new to this segment of the marketplace. I'm certainly not due to the travel industry. That's that's certainly how airlines and hotels um, have come out of COVID and become profitable is dynamic pricing. Um, are you seeing much of that right now in this space? Um, is there a huge learning curve behind that? Because, uh, boy, oh boy, you know, again, going back to the small owner operator, um, that could give them heartburn very quickly. It can, and it and it does. You know, there's this industry is very used to printed or advertised pricing. They <laughs> say, "Well, I don't. I I printed the brochures for the year, and they yeah. all say, you know, thirty nine ninety five. I can't change that. Well, you know, don't print them. That's what I would say. And yeah. um, second, or or put the big words from in front from, of there. From <laughs> that that'll solve it exactly. But, but what we realize is the OTAs have barely crossed that bridge, right? The, the OTAs have barely adopted to the fact that we really do need dynamic pricing. And they've now started to ingest it. Not at a high frequency, Jeff. It's a once a day and frequency is how fast they ingest it. Uh, on the higher spectrum, you've got folks that ingest it every four hours. But really, that's it. No one's truly taking this in in real time. Okay. Not that it necessitates it. Once a day is actually a great start. But don't, you know, if the if the day is the way your background looks right now, a beautiful sunny day, there's no reason your price for that kayak tour to stay the same. I then right. on a cold, rainy day. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. That makes, makes perfect sense. Okay. Uh, it, so you, you you feel as though that will become the norm, you know, not this year, but you know, 24, 25, just that'll become part of the operations of businesses. Yeah, I think 24, 25, uh, 25 are looking more likely, but yeah, everyone's bracing that this year they're prepping for the dynamic pricing and next year they'll start applying it. At Hornblower, I should say, we've already embraced it, right? There's dynamic pricing in most of our cities. Um, I'll pick on Maverick Helicopters as well. They've done a phenomenal job at embracing it and really adapting to how many seats are left on that helicopter before I make a pricing decision. Um, and what's happening around that time, right? EDC 
is happening next weekend. Not that me and you are going to that rave, but if uh, if we were, the pricing should be reflective of how busy that weekend is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. So why why stress yourself out and work harder for the same amount of money when when you have big conventions or events going in town, or it is the peak of your season? You know, yeah. cruise lines do that. We talked about airlines. We talked about hotels doing that. Just I think it's a natural evolution of the business. Exactly. Yeah, cool. So um, one point I wanted to touch by, and, and I'll, I'll be sensitive to your time too, but one point I wanted to touch on is something you mentioned earlier, which is these integrations on the hornblower side uh, of different companies you have and saying, you know, you went on a Harbor cruise and, you know, probably the last thing you're going to do after you go on a Harbor cruise is another Harbor cruise, but yeah. you have these, these different companies that are there. Um, you're actively retargeting them or are you packaging uh different components when you have a walks product or a, a food tour product in those cities what does that look like from the consumer side does so we're doing both we're doing the packaging and the upselling and i'll, and I'll start with the packaging because it doesn't have to be just our products so in new york our package is a downtown experience which is yes the statue of liberty which is ours but two others the 9-11 memorial which has nothing to do with us, but we write via API into that platform and, and tell them, hey, we've sold these tickets. Along with the One World Observatory, that package has three activities. And one of the first times that we'll say that it's not an integration via a city pass or a ghost city or a sightseeing mm -hmm. pass. It's really supplier and supplier relationship. Sure, sure. Three suppliers relationship together. Um, and the discounting happens internally meaning we each shave a little bit of our price to then provide a discount to the guest. Um, so that's the packaging we're doing there. In Canada, we're doing it um, a lot more as an upsell. So you, you bought the Niagara Falls, but did you know that there was a behind the falls walking tour or that, that you could see the mechanism or the engines that power the falls? So, you know, or the electricity that generates behind, those are walking tours that we upsell you post-purchase or during the purchase flow in the form of a shopping cart, which Anchor enables. Okay. So uh, to that first point, uh, do we see the industry moving towards more of these um, individual deals become between private companies versus let's let somebody else package and market it, you know, through technology, can we, can we do that locally without having to rely on a city pass or, or a company to pull that together? You know, I don't think the, the past companies are going anywhere because they do such a darn good job at marketing. They do a really um, good job of marketing. Absolutely. You know, and me and you, as we look at a city, uh, especially if you're going with a family, you look at how many activities can I pack in? And the past companies do a great job of telling me, hey, do as many as you can. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Run yourself ragged for three days in Chicago, please. That's right. <laughs> That's right. With things like the, you know, the the, the city, the C3 pass from, from City Pass. But um, I think... This is just an opportunity to say, let's carve a little bit of that business internally because technology allows it to be so seamless to mm -hmm. sell across two or three different ticketing platforms without a lot of friction. Meaning we, we get back that barcode into the guests. So that now they have three barcodes to walk into. The future that I see is probably a single barcode 
that is universal across three platforms or six platforms, then now I can walk into any of these and get scanned in without having to go to the ticket booth to redeem something or go to a website to do some more work, but really make it seamless. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I, I think that's a good answer because as, as we just agreed upon, those companies do a great job marketing, but maybe that will um, compel more companies that feel like they're competitors to join together. Uh, yeah. a, a, a real quick story. I, I met Jerry Jones once, uh, owner of the Dallas Cowboys, and I'm not a Cowboys fan at all. He did a, a little presentation for a, a, a tourism group of them. And um, he got up on the stage and said, I know the tourism business uh, because my daddy had a tourism attraction in Branson, Missouri. And he put a map up of all the other tourism destinations in uh, Branson. You know, this was back in probably what the 1950s when Jerry Jones was growing up. I'm not even sure. And uh, he said, I remember asking, I said, Daddy, you know, why, why, why do you put up all of our competitors on this map? And he said, son, if we all just work together, we're going to get more people to Branson. We're going to get more of them coming back to Branson. It's all about partnerships. And, um, you know, somebody like Jerry Jones figured that out as a young kid. I think a lot of companies that are out there, um, you know, worried about walking on the other side of the street of their competitor. Now, sightseeing cruises, the sightseeing cruises is one thing, but there's so many complementary activities in uh, local communities. Uh, it's just about getting people out and getting active. And I think through technology, maybe we can do a little better job of that. That's right. That's right. And just to, to echo what you said, uh, Terry McRae, our, our founder of Hornblower, actually says, make the pie bigger. Mm. Don't just try to get the slice of the pie. Let's just all work together to get that pie to be bigger. I love it. I love it. Okay. Uh, last question for you. Um, you've let, Let's fast forward a little bit here. You've done all your good deeds at Hornblower. You guys have climbed the top of the mountain. You say, uh, one day you walk in the office, say, I'm out. I'm going to go here, and I'm going to run this sort of tour and activity company. Where are you going to be? What are you going to run? Oof, tough question. <laughs> Look, you know, my my dream would be um, in the attraction space. You said kayaks, but being on the water is is natural, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Not because we're a maritime company, but a kayak snorkeling. Uh, you know, turtle seeing company. That's, that's the dream. Um, I think that's a retirement dream. Okay. And it would be in the Cancun, Hawaii area. And, and I do think you need to serve those guests differently than they're being served today. Today, they're very mom and pop operation, meaning people don't super serve them. Sure, uh, sure. You know, and, and I'd like to surprise and delight them, right? Uh, here's, here's lunch that we just fished. Here's a, you know, here's some scuba guy gear that you don't need to rent. It's just part of the package. Yeah here's, yeah. here's a GoPro and we'll edit the footage for you just because we know you're never going to edit it when you get home. <laughs> <laughs> so it awesome. would be the whole experience. Awesome. I, I love it. Well, uh, one of these days I'll be at Cancun. I'm going to hop on the boat and you're going to be there as the captain. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> All right. Well, Nazi, really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. I enjoyed catching up with you and best of luck. Thank you so much, Jeff. Get paid to travel the world with friends and family as the leader of your very own travel tribe. This book by travel industry publisher Jeff Gader will show you how. 
Order your copy of Travelling Tribes at leisuregrouptravel.com or at Amazon. Type in keyword Travelling Tribes.